Welcome back. I'm Shane McClelland. I'm Lori Gum. And these are the Q Files. Do you remember having somewhat outlandish childhood fears? Things you thought may be significant everyday issues. Piranhas, the Bermuda Triangle, quicksand. I mean, whatever happened to all the quicksand? And on that note, whatever happened with spontaneous human combustion? Perhaps I was alone in pondering that as a child, but it does seem to have dissipated with the cultural consciousness as something to worry about, if other folks ever really did. It is, after all, spontaneous. We all know the story. A seemingly perfectly normal person retires to bed for the evening, or they quietly drift off and nap in their favorite chair. While they sleep, they catch on fire and burn to ash. In the aftermath, the authorities can't find any discernible source of the blaze. Even stranger, the objects around the victim, aside from maybe their clothes or the chair they were dozing in, are perfectly fine. Spontaneous Human Combustion also known as preternatural combustibility and auto-oxidation, is the idea that people can, while simply minding their own business, burst into flame with no external source of ignition. The fire is believed to start within the body of the victim. It is not medically recognized and no explanation exists that can reasonably account for any but a few of the many stories of this phenomenon. Thus, it has found a firm home in the world of the strange and piqued the interest of only a few fringe researchers and outsiders. But if you think that people unexpectedly bursting into flames is a modern phenomenon, think again. We're dealing with at least centuries of human cinders. The first documented case of spontaneous human combustion set off a firestorm of bewilderment and fascination from both the general public and scientific community due to its cause being shrouded in the unknown. In approximately 1470, a knight called Polonus Vorstius had the unfortunate distinction of possibly being the first known case of spontaneous human combustion. The hapless horseman spent the evening enjoying several glasses of wine at his home in Milan. Suddenly, he began to belch fire. And just as suddenly, as the story goes, he burst into flames, burning to ashes in front of his singed, sooted, and horrified parents. The event was described in 1641 by Danish physician Thomas Bartholin in his Historiarum Anatomicarum Rariorum, a compendium of strange medical phenomenon and a collection of words that are particularly hard to pronounce. Bartholin cited as his source a discussion with one of the Borstias family's direct descendants. And similar versions of the knight's tale can be found in other sources. Though it's obviously impossible to verify the accuracy of any claim to flame in poor Polonus's case. Another well-known example is the 18th century mystery of innkeeper Nicole Millet, as recorded by Jonas Dupont in his aptly titled 1763 tome, De Incendis Corporis Humani Spontanis. As the story goes, an innkeeper named Jean Millet went to bed one night while his wife, a notorious drunk, stayed in the kitchen, claiming she couldn't sleep. At around two in the morning, a strange smell woke Millet up. He rushed downstairs and discovered his wife's charred remains scattered across the kitchen. All that remained of Madame Millet was her skull, a few bones from her back, 
and her lower legs. A straw bed near her corpse and various other wooden items near her somehow survived the blaze that consumed her on February 20th, 1725. Eventually, her husband would be tried for murder and found guilty, and later, he would be acquitted thanks to the testimony of a surgeon named Dr. Claude Nicholas Lacat, a guest at the inn on that fateful night when the smell of smoke awoke the house and Nicole's body was discovered. Lacat convinced the court that this was indeed an act of spontaneous combustion. The court later ruled that it was an act of God. Then, just six years later, another case would grab the attention of the world. In 1731, Countess Cornelia de Bandy was put to bed early by her maid after a wine and camphor bath. The next morning, her staff discovered all that remained of her, a pair of unburned legs and her skull sitting on top of a pile of ashes. The room itself was covered in soot, but nothing was damaged by whatever fire had consumed the countess. It was later speculated that her body had succumbed to the conflagration so quickly that her torso disengaged as she stood, enabling her skull to simply fall into the ashes of her body below. The alternative theory was lightning through the chimney, but it was deemed too far-fetched. Another similar story would have happened in England in 1744. This time, it would be the gin-soaked, pipe-smoking Grace Pet that would end up like a log of wood consumed by a fire. A pattern was beginning to appear in these rare and random cases, and it was starting to catch the attention of serious people who do serious things. They noticed that alcohol was nearly always consumed. The victims were often female and or had a lot of body fat. They were typically older and less mobile. And most interestingly, the victim's surroundings were strangely never damaged by the flames. A year after Pett's case, Paul Rowley released the study on the subject in the Philosophical Transactions of the Royal Society of London. He examined a few cases, namely Pett and the Countess, and put forth the popular theory that gases created from the body when combined with alcohol could cause people to spontaneously combust. This once alarming, odd, and rare way to die was gaining legitimacy and capturing the public imagination. In popular Victorian comic-style books, all sorts of unseeming characters seemed to start to meet their ends in spontaneous balls of fire. In the December 1852 installment of his serialized novel Bleak House, author Charles Dickens disposed the alcoholic landlord, Mr. Crook, via conveniently timed case of spontaneous combustion. Crook's body was reduced to ash, while his junk-filled apartment made it through the fire unscathed save for some grease on the windows and a putrid smell. At the time, the public considered Dickens a realistic author, and when he used spontaneous human combustion as a plot device, most readers assumed it was just as real as Dickinson's other subjects, which included smallpox, sleep apnea, and tuberculosis. Some scholars, including Dickens' close friend George Lewes, didn't swallow the story quite as easily. Lewis attacked Dickens in a public newspaper, claiming that Bleak House gave credence to a scientific impossibility. Dickens shot back by citing numerous examples of apparent spontaneous human combustion from throughout history and by citing recent scientific discoveries, including oxygen, which is crucial for both the body and the fires, to make his case. 
If there were ever to be a golden age of spontaneous combustion, it was the 20th century, largely due to photographic evidence taking center stage. Gruesome, black-and-white photographs of miscellaneous limbs and ash heaps, media-ready to capture headlines and audiences around the world. Arguably the most famous case of this era happened in 1951, when 67-year-old Mary Reeser died, tragically, in an unknown and mysterious fire in her St. Petersburg, Florida apartment. According to the original newspaper article, Reeser was described as a rather robust woman who burned to ash along with the armchair that she was sitting in. Only her foot and a nearby newspaper remained. In 1966, Dr. John Bentley, a 92-year-old retired physician from Pennsylvania, made headlines as another victim of spontaneous combustion. The grisly photo that accompanied his story in newspapers everywhere depicted his charred remains found next to the toilet, a slipper-shod foot and a lower leg. A metal walker lay on top of his ashes, its rubber tips untouched. So just how does that happen? What is going on in all these stories? Much of the mystery surrounding this is that it takes a ton of energy, heat, fire, flames, to burn a body. According to body burning experts, it takes somewhere between 1400 and 1800 degrees Fahrenheit to cremate a human body, which is presumably significantly more heat than can be created by a candle flame or a lit cigarette. But even more than that, fires hot enough to turn a human body to ash seem unlikely to leave the surrounding area untouched. And yet, it often does in cases of spontaneous human combustion. This has added to the mystery and created a wide array of weird theories. There's the too simple and too obvious lit cigarette scenario. But there's also explanations involving the Earth's magnetic field and aliens. Or even perfect storms of gamma rays pelting specific people in their homes. And static electricity igniting someone with high blood alcohol content. As a quick aside, we mentioned earlier some of the common factors in these cases, and one of them is alcohol. It's been mentioned in nearly every case we covered. I thought it was strange and just knew in my heart, or maybe just willed it into historical existence, but I knew the temperance movement used this, and they did. Throughout the 1800s, prohibitionists used anecdotal accounts of spontaneous combustion in their anti-alcohol screeds. And it was, in fact, one of their regular arguments into the 1920s. At least one scientist thinks that ball lightning, a largely unexplained scientific phenomenon, might cause spontaneous human combustion. Some paranormal researchers think that it might be related to poltergeists who are often blamed for setting non-sentient objects on fire. In his 1995 book, Ablaze, Author Larry E. Arnold, who, as critics note, doesn't actually have any scientific training, hypothesizes that there are subatomic particles called pyrotrons in the human body that, when agitated by stress, make people more likely to burst into flames. While that seems fairly unlikely, pyrotron sounds pretty cool. But there might actually be some science behind that high strangeness of spontaneous human combustion and... It's weird science. The first of these is the phenomenon known as the wick effect. It's compelling, even if gross. 
And for some reason, the FBI knew about it back in the 1950s when they issued a report on Mrs. Reeser, stating, there is enough fat to support the process until there is almost complete combustion of the body. But basically, this theory says that the human body acts like a candle with a person's clothes or a blanket serving as an actual wick. As the fabric burns after being ignited, it splits the skin and melts the victim's body fat. The fat then soaks into the fabric and becomes a constantly renewing source of fuel for the fire and increases the heat. It's essentially a grease fire, only it's not fried chicken, it's a human body. And folks have tested this theory. In experiments done with pig flesh, which is close to human flesh, fires that start this way tend to burn straight up, singeing the ceiling, and also progress fairly slowly, leaving the most of the surroundings intact. This also explains the greasy residue that the fires leave behind. It's liquefied body fat and explains why the largely fat-free hands and feet tend to survive these fires, why spontaneous combustion tends to affect the overweight, and why the source of fire is often unidentified. At such extreme temperatures, whatever started the blaze is incinerated right along the body. Another similar theory was proposed by Brian J. Ford. He's a biologist who researches spontaneous combustion, which is a career opportunity I did not realize even existed until now. But Mr. Ford, again working with pigs, theorizes that spontaneous combustion is a result of too much acetone building up in a person's body. So what did he do? Well, he soaked various objects in ethanol and acetone and set them on fire. He explained it like this. We marinated pork abdominal tissue in ethanol for a week. Even when cloaked in gauze and moistened with alcohol, it would not burn. Alcohol is not normally present in our tissues, but there is one flammable constituent of the body that can greatly increase in concentration. He keeps going on after this, but it gets very scientific sounding. And the essence is he couldn't get the wick theory to work on a pig. So he tried acetone next because our bodies do produce that naturally. And especially while on certain diets, think ketosis on a low-carb diet. And guess what? The pigs and models and dolls and everything he used to approximate a human being, they all burned, just like people do when they experience spontaneous combustion. Mr. Ford completed his experiments and published a paper on it in the microscope in 2012, arguably solving the mystery of spontaneous human combustion. It's not often that we get to explore something weird or paranormal and reach a mostly satisfying conclusion based in science. But while this means pyrotrons are unlikely to be real, it means we can all continue to enjoy alcohol without the fear of spontaneously bursting into flames. <sighs> Thank goodness. Thanks for joining us. This show was created and produced by me, Shane McClelland, and Lori Gum. Until next time, friends. Be weird, stay curious. These are the Q-Files.